Hello, and welcome to the Agile Embedded Podcast. I'm Jeff Gable. And I'm Luca Njerni. And today we're going to talk about how to speed up safety-critical processes, which is near and dear to my heart since I work in medical devices. And Luca, you have a history working in aerospace and automotive as well. Why would we want to speed up safety-critical processes? I mean, you can't. we can't be cutting corners on safety. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the thing, right? It sounds, it sounds like a terrible idea to say, oh, yeah, let's, let's rush the development of a safety-critical product. And, and of course, it is a terrible idea. And this is not at all what we're talking about, is it? In fact, we're talking about the opposite. Um, we're talking about, you know, enabling ourselves to get to the market faster, which, you know, just is, is just good, just makes good business sense, right? But also, and this is not just me making stuff up, this has been, you know, proven in studies, you don't need to uh, make a compromise between speed and quality. In fact, if you do it right, you will end up increasing your quality by increasing speed just because you enable your, yourself to iterate more quickly, uh, try out more solutions, find more problems. Um, so all in all, I think it's, it's an extremely valuable goal, particularly in safety-critical industries. Absolutely. And, and this is really uh, kind of gets down to the fundamental thesis of this podcast, which is exactly what you said. You, you don't have to choose between development speed and quality uh, if you adopt these practices of, of reducing friction as much as possible in both the forward flow of work and in, and in getting feedback upstream. You get to try things more often, iterating more quickly, exactly as Luca said. It, it increases quality. You uncover both bugs in the software and uh, and defects in your process or in your requirements in all aspects of the product, you uncover those things more quickly and then you can fix them. So, you know, classically, at least in the medical device industry, people would say agile is not compatible. And now this is an extremely hot topic in the in the medical device world. I'm one of the people out there pushing this idea, but I like there are there are many many <laughs> folks uh, releasing webinars and and blog posts and training courses and such, essentially saying no, no, uh, agile is perfectly compatible with the medical device world, and uh, you know the the FDA, uh, you know the particular regulatory body for the medical device industry does not say you can't do agile. In fact, they've released technical guidance on exactly how to do it. Or not exactly how to do it, but but principles you can use to to make it work. But yeah, it's you know why getting back to why would you want to you know a safety critical product is still a product that needs to be sold, uh, and that's one of the things that makes regulated safety critical industries so difficult is that the development cycles are often so long because you have this regulatory and quality uh, burden, this overhead. You know, it's quite common for. I don't know, some basic electronic medical device that that if it were a consumer product could probably go to market in six months. It's not uncommon for those to take three years in the medical device world. And I'm sure, you know, in automotive, even for established, you know, large automotive manufacturers who have who have this process nailed down from, hey, we're going to do a a redesign of this particular product line till when it actually hits the market is what, five years? So yeah, maybe Luca, you can speak to to the automotive world a little bit more. Yeah, so I've I've never observed agile in the automotive industry. I suppose there is some of that around now, but it wasn't visible when I was last uh, involved in an 
in an automotive safety critical project. But yes, cycle times are just shockingly long. And and we're not talking about entire cars. Like I suppose the cycle time for a car is like 10 years or something or, or five years maybe. I, th- I think the industry figure is five years, but I'm not certain how how solid that actually is. There's probably a, some, you know, some pre-development that doesn't get counted, that sort of thing. But even like when I, when I did something as trivial as a steering, steering column lock, you know, which uh, on the face of it is just a thing that can go click or clack. That's burnt like easily a hundred engineer years. Wow. For a thing that goes click and clack. Right. And and the reason is if it if it happens to go click and lock your steering wheel when you're on the highway going, um, you know, seventy miles an 200 hour, kilometers an hour, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in Germany where they're going two hundred kilometers an hour, exactly, you're going to have a bad day. Okay, so so it's pretty clear we we think this is a a a good goal, and I think any any business person, anyone who has any kind of empathy for the business side of things, you know, the you can. You know, you might be a quality person who doesn't really care about selling products, but if you want to have a job at a successful company, you do need to sell products. And uh, you know, the the executive team is is trying to raise money to fund all of this development, and and they can't do that forever. So we've got to get these products to market. And and even I would say uh, there's there's two aspects between this. We and we were talking about this before the show. They're speeding up the time to market. And then I guess within within a market cycle, they're speeding up the iteration and the cycle time just of the development process of, you know, coming out with an internal software release or an internal product release for testing. You know, and if you can speed that up, then you vastly increase quality because you can you can try things more often and discover problems sooner. And and you can come out to market with a better product because you have more opportunities to iterate before that that release or or you can just cut it sooner and release sooner exactly like even even if you don't care in the least about the business side of things if you're really an engineer's engineer you would still want to shorten your cycle time wouldn't you you would still want to have more frequent uh, prototypes more opportunities for learning more opportunities for trying new stuff out so you know whichever way you look at it shortening cycle times is just valuable and important. So actually, Jeff, what makes cycle times long in safety critical development? Sure. So let's let's maybe talk about yeah, just what what are the defining aspects of safety critical development uh, versus other embedded systems uh, that some of our listeners might be working on. The the most important the, the most important distinguishing characteristic for a safety critical device is that you have to do risk analysis and risk management. You have to methodically and thoroughly think of everything that can go wrong and then put in place other requirements or other features of the product that prevent those things from happening, from causing harm to some end user, be it a patient or someone, you know, a passenger on an airplane or a passenger in a vehicle. So risk analysis and management, uh, as part of that, the thoroughness of tracking your requirements and making sure all of those requirements are verified. Uh, Again, risk analysis will feed into requirements. And if you don't actually rigorously make sure all your requirements are implemented and then verified and tested, then you're not sure that something didn't slip through. So that's, again, that's uh, inherent in making sure something is safe is having that traceability of 
I've done all these test cases. Did I actually test all of the requirements? There needs to be some kind of trace matrix that uh, shows you whether there's any gaps in your in your testing and verification activities. Um, you need to generate documentation, and engineers hate documentation. I don't particularly enjoy documentation. Um, but there's documentation for other engineers to let them work on the product. But there is documentation for both your corporate management who, who are responsible for this process overall, uh, and for whatever regulatory body, uh, you know, FDA for medical devices, FAA for aerospace, National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, at least in the U.S., for, for automotive. So, you know, you can have the most wonderful process in the world internally, and if you go to one of these regulatory bodies and hand them a blank sheet of paper and say, no, we're really good internally, like you don't really need to see proof of that, you're not going to be able to sell a product. So it's just a fact of life that you have, you not only have to have safe processes internally, they have to produce artifacts that will show these regulatory bodies and your corporate management, your corporate management is not there with you on the engineering front lines. They're not, you know, probing things with oscilloscopes and running unit tests. They and the regulatory bodies need to see documentation that shows that you have been thorough in this. That's really the the fundamental aspect. And one last thing is once you've given the regulatory regulatory body that documentation, there is often a very long wait that is completely outside of your control before you actually get approval. So for medical devices, for, um, you know, there's different regulatory pathways, but these things can take six months to a year is is very standard. And the FDA says, we will promise you an answer in 91 days or 180 days or whatever it is. And there is really nothing you can, there's very little you can do about that. That's why the the cycle times in safety critical industries can be so slow. Actually, that's an interesting question regarding specifically the FDA could you deliver a first iteration to them and then just have kind of have them examine deltas on that and it would speed the process up? Uh, yes, that's a very good question. Uh, so, and that, that's actually something I want to touch on later in the, in the podcast. And I'm not quite as sure about the, so, you know, un, unfortunately in, in my speech here, I'm very US centric. I keep talking about the FDA. Uh, the FDA is the regulatory body here in the United States. Um, but there's the uh, European Union, uh, Japan, Canada, um, uh, all other countries, many other countries around the world have their own regulatory bodies that that are not as harmonized as you might hope. Uh, but they they have they're very close uh, in terms of the overall thrust of the of the regulations. You were asking about can can you get something to market and then they examine the deltas. Uh, the short answer is yes. If the delta is small enough you don't even need to inform the FDA. It, it, there's something called a letter to file, which is if it's a small update, and this is on you to determine. If it's a small enough update, you do all the same activities. You just don't give it to them and wait for their answer. That that six month or, or whatever it is time to wait for a response from the FDA, you don't have to wait for. Over time, you know they periodically inspect, and so they will find out if you took too much of a, of a leap there. And so... You know, if it's a little bit more, there's a there's a process. You know, if if your regulatory pathway was called a 510k, which is for <laughs> I don't want to get in too much for those who aren't in the medical device industry, um, but you know, you can go to market with a 510k, and then later on, if if you have a delta, you know, a version two, you can have a special 510k, which is 
a more streamlined version for it. It's clearly a version two that's built off of your version one product. So there are options there to speed that up. Which which sounds like it screams for um, for an agile process that allows you to have those small deltas and, and do that sort of incremental development and uh, decrease your dependency on, on the FDA in that particular case. Absolutely. And I, I am a huge fan of being ruthless in minimizing the requirements um, for your version one device that's your first device to market. It is so tempting just to say, oh, and can it also do this? Oh, can it also do this? I posit that it is much better to go to market with a version one and start getting real clinical feedback from users in the field and then come out with a version two. And if the, if your device is electromechanical uh, and you kind of make that initial leap to give it over-the-air updates, uh, software updates, then that opens up all kinds of possibilities. Um, but even even beyond software updates, uh, uh, hardware iterations, I'm a big fan of really getting to market as quickly as possible with that first product and then iterating based on there. I, I, so many times development processes are slowed down um, when marketing says, we can't sell it without this, and they're wrong. <laughs> you can't sell it. Like, you really got to just focus on the core. Uh, that's maybe an agile uh, philosophy of the company, not not so much a development process, but it it is part of the same uh, same set of principles. Yeah, and uh, wasn't it Steve Jobs who said that, you know, the hard thing about... Uh, product development is not saying yes to certain things. It's saying no to the hundreds of good ideas that exist and that would deserve to be incorporated in your product. And you just, no, you will not do that. You will not compromise on getting the product done and getting it out the door. And, and you know, then you can iterate to your heart's content and add new features. But first, get something shippable, get something... That, that allows you, in your example, to to gain clinical experience and see whether it actually works, whether it actually benefits the patients. Right. So so let's maybe get back to, uh, you know, we, we went over a lot of things that, that differentiate safety-critical industries from those that are not, from, say, consumer electronics. And how, how can we speed those things up? So we have, you know, risk analysis and risk management. We have this require, this need to document our requirements and have test cases that test all those requirements and show uh, with some kind of traceability matrix or document that all of those, uh, that every requirement is tested and every test case can be linked back to the requirements that it does test. You have to produce this documentation. Let's talk about practical ways to actually speed that up. You know me, I always like to get concrete. Yes, please. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, so the the first thing that I see in, in the medical device industry, and I imagine it is also uh prevalent in other safety critical industries is using old fashioned tools, uh, specifically tracking requirements uh, and test cases in Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel. Um, I, it's so common. And the problem with it, the, the reason people do it is because it's easy to write documents in Microsoft Word. And you've got to come up with a document. The problem is, there's no automated traceability. So if some if you make a change to a requirement, you now have to manually go through a bunch of other documents and uh, you know update those to reflect the change you just made in one. There's constantly this this shotgun surgery of documentation 
and you know for embedded developers or or any software developers that that shotgun surgery when you have to make a change and you have to make it like when you want to make a feature change and it requires changing code in multiple places that's a code smell uh, you know that there's something wrong with your architecture if you have to do that in your documentation then you know there's a documentation architecture problem um and so using modern tools that are database backed like a requirements management software um, and test case management software where it's automatically linked, where when you make a change to requirement, it will highlight for you, hey, go verify these test cases, please, to make sure they haven't changed or this connection is no longer valid. Now you need to fix this. And it's constantly giving you visible status. So in in the interest of concreteness, would a modern requirements management tool be DOORS or would it be JIRA or what what? What's the uh, modern tool? So uh, I I have never had the displeasure of using doors. I have heard bad things about it, which is why I use the word it's displeasure. Actually, it's actually pretty <laughs> cool. It's just it's just really clunky, but it's you know it, it's just a fancy database viewer. Right, but but, but clunk, uh, clunky is bad, Luca, because that introduces friction. Yeah, so like it, it it's clunky in the way you um you write new requirements and, and that sort of thing. But what it does very well is really ensure that everything is in a consistent state. You can very easily link between documents. You can very easily uh, trace the evolution of your of your document, that sort of thing. So I've used it. And while I have lots of things to complain about it, it still beats word by like uh it's not even funny fair enough so i can say in the medical device world i'm a big fan of uh, matrix they're a, a small company uh, i think i think out of either germany or the netherlands um and and they're focused on the medical device industry and so they uh but but it really makes it, it you know you you input your requirements into this uh database and then they have very good document formatting output capabilities, which is always fantastic because in the end, you are going to have to hand a document um, to your quality person and your regulatory person and your corporate management and the regulatory body. And so that generate automatic generation of documentation from this database that you work in all day uh, is a really key feature and you want to make sure that that works well. Um, JAMA is another one I've used that's uh, perfectly fine. Um, and none of these tools are are perfect. I'd say Matrix is is the best I've seen, um, but none of these tools are perfect. And so you will cut yourself on some sharp edges, and you'll want to go back to Word. You say, "Oh, I just want to write this document. I just want to go back to Word. It was so simple in Word." Please don't. Please don't. Okay, so that's that's a that's a concrete way to get uh, automate the process of of producing documentation. You may have to invest some effort there, uh, get you know you as a software engineer or get one of your software engineers to maybe write some glue scripts. Maybe the formatting isn't quite right for the documentation. And so you'll, you'll have to invest a little bit in terms of getting exactly the format you want. But once you do, once you've made that investment, then every single time you make a requirements change, you can produce a new requirements document that's perfectly formatted and beautiful and ready to go automatically. And it will be correct. And it will be correct. You know, it doesn't have that manual error, that tedious error prone process of, of checking all these things manually. And that's the thing that one of the things that kind of scares me <laughs> about, about these, uh, about the medical device industry is because so many 
people do the risk analysis and do requirements and test cases and traceability in Word, I don't have a lot of confidence that they've done it correctly. It's because it's very error prone. You can miss things like you're reading reams and reams of paper and you're like, what's a requirement number? Did someone transpose it when they wrote it? I don't know. Exactly. It's it's not like you, you may make a mistake. You will make a mistake. Count on it. Like it, it is bound to happen. So yes, absolutely. I, I think this is one of the very crucial things you can do to, to make both your quality and your speed better is to automate all of this tedious stuff away. You know, it will make your life better if nothing else. So for out of pure self-interest, <laughs> automate this. But but also it will it will make your, your product quality better. It will probably give you less hassle from the FDA. And it will it will increase you know it will increase your speed and your quality. All right. So our last episode we had uh, Paul Massey from Blue Fruit Software on uh, and he talked a lot about decreasing the cycle time for medical devices. And and one of the kind of the key tactics that he used uh, in order to do that was what he calls uh, living documentation. And so that's documentation that's automatically generated. You know, you have this uh, requirements management, kind of the the requirements and verification level uh, documentation. You also have detailed design documents and unit test reports and all those kind of things. The unit tests are code and the detailed design reflects the structure of the code and having that generated automatically from comments and and explanatory documents that are checked into your code repository that live along with your code there is still some effort in making sure that that the code matches the documentation and vice versa you know that effort doesn't go away but the friction in terms of of keeping those in sync and and the versioning is is greatly lessened. And again, all of that is, can be automated such that it's just uh, produced from every time you you make a code commit. And you get automated unit tests, which will speed up and increase the confidence in your software development. And just allow me to point out that you can do the same thing even on higher levels, on, on functional levels, with techniques such as BDD, behavior-driven development, which I'm sure we'll, be, we'll get into um, in a later episode. Um, which allows you to formulate automatable test cases on a functional level, on, on the level of you know business requirements or, or medical requirements or whatever, and have them be automatically testable, even test-driven, even in the context of of actual physical devices. You know, it's we all know that as soon as you have hardware in the loop, everything gets you know harder by a factor of 10. And you can do that. It works. I've done it. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by BDD. I have not practiced it myself, but I've I've heard you talk about it. Paul brought it up uh, and talked about it a fair bit. Uh, they practice it at Blue Fruit, and, and I've heard others as well. Uh, so I'm really, really, really curious to to try that out and, and give it a whirl. It's uh, I mean, as I understand it, it's essentially the requirements are executable test cases. Like they are written in a in a grammar such that uh, you know, it, a they're they're consistent, and 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 that's a problem with requirements in general is that they're not well written. So the grammar of this requirements language enforces them to be uh, clear and testable, and then the tooling automatically, you know, links your test cases with these requirements, and they essentially become executable specs, which is really intriguing. Exactly, and and you know, you saying that they are written in grammar sounds very 
complicated and, and heavyweight. But but what it means in practice is that every sentence needs to start with given when or then. Right. Given this, when this happens, then... I expect the following result. I expect the following exactly. result. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's see. One other, one other thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is... I've seen this in the medical device world, and and Luke, I'd be curious to hear your experiences with it as well. So often, software engineers, they see the value in this. They see the value in using modern tooling, and so they want to introduce modern tooling at their organization. And the director of quality says, all tools must be validated, and it takes us two weeks to validate a tool, so you can't use it. I've seen that. Have you seen that? Yes, I have seen that. And Sometimes I find the discussions a bit baffling. Like you get, I I understand the need or kind of understand the need for validating maybe a compiler or something. And you can buy pre-validated compilers that, I don't know, adhere to ISO 26262 or to FDA, whatever it was. But if you go, let's call it further away from from actual machine code, do you really need to validate? Like, do you need to validate your requirements management software? So, uh, like, DAWs is validated, which is probably why it costs like 10 grand per seat per year. I don't, I'm not making this up, but like, I can't imagine Microsoft Word is validated. And then the cop out, the cop out is that, oh, yeah, but we're not validating the tool. We're just sort of, we're just validating the, the actual document you're writing, but I guarantee you that the quality of a document that is handcrafted and hand validated will be inferior to one that even an you know an unqualified tool will produce. Absolutely, and and I, I have also had those conversations and have found them very baffling and frustrating. the The FDA, at least again focusing on medical devices, the FDA has recognized. Uh, its fault in kind of creating this culture. <laughs> um, you know, some guidances came out a long, long time ago, principles of computer software validation uh, that made it seem like every single tool you used, you had to have a detailed script that someone would have to bank and then follow and then make sure it works to make sure that, okay, if you type in a username and a password and then press the login button, then you are logged in as expected. And the FDA, that was not their intention, uh, but that's what happened in the industry, that people were validating things to that level uh, with no value. That's, there's no value added there. I mean, that's that's just entirely clear to me. And the uh, what the FDA is recently coming out with, uh, new guidances called computer system assurance, whatever, they have to give it a different name. But the point is, is that to... <laughs> they, I think they literally said in the guide, it's something like, we want to reintroduce critical thinking into this process. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, you look at what what's the risk to the patient in the end. Like, that's what we're doing all this for. We have these safety critical processes to uh, prevent uh, patient harm. Is the, is the patient really at risk if, like, the login feature doesn't work as intended? No. If the login feature doesn't work as intended, you won't be able to log in. And you won't go anywhere. Like you'll stop using the software. It's 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 asinine to kind of validate that kind of thing. Um, so they they have come out with a guidance to vastly streamline these things. They're saying exploratory testing. You don't have to write out detailed scripts, validate the scripts, and then follow the scripts to make sure the software is validated. You can just essentially click around the way you would normally do when installing any new software. 
making sure that it works the way you think it does and then say, yep, I clicked around and, and explored these things and it looks good. Sign date. So it become it, the process has become much more streamlined. And because of that, there's really no excuse not to use modern tools. And if you're, if you have a quality person in your organization that is preventing you from modern using modern tools with those kind of antiquated justifications, have them call me. Uh, I'll be nice, but I will try to set them straight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, and I, you know, if somebody uses Word as their requirements management tool, for instance, then the argument that that some quality people or safety people make is that we're not validating the tool, we're validating the process. We validate that somebody goes and, I don't know, checks lists of requirements numbers against each other or something. Wouldn't it be much easier to write down this process in the form of software code, inspect that software code, and then satisfy yourself that, yes, this is a correct process. Let's apply it automatically. Yeah, I remember in... uh... What is what is Gene, Gene Kim has a seminal work in DevOps. I think it's like the continuous delivery manual or something like that. Uh, I, I may be butchering the title. We'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Uh, but he had the he had the point that he would he would get pushback from when he would go into these companies and try to automate their processes. He would get pushback that you know a script c- couldn't be validated like an automated process was, and and he was he was baffled. You know, a, a script is far more validatable than a manual process. And then you you know that it's going to be done the same way every time, whereas you don't know that a manual process is going to be done the same way every time. So it's yeah, that's it's just not a it's not a valid argument against using modern modern tools. Yeah, but the funny thing is it's not valid, I agree. It's still prevalent though. It's still prevalent. In in the world of medical devices in the United States, the FDA has now given you cover. Look up computer system assurance. For uh, I'm I'm not sure what the equivalent is in in other parts of the world, and and I'm certainly not sure in the in the other industries. Uh, but in the end, maybe couch it in a form of of risk. Like, what is the risk to the patient if this doesn't work, or <laughs> to the patient to the end user if this doesn't work as expected? And if they can't if they can't kind of plausibly connect some chain that has any reasonable chance of occurring, um, then it's that that's what you base your argument on. And, and you say this will actually decrease risk to the end user and it will increase quality because it enables, it takes out the friction of this process so we can do it more often. And so we can, we can see the results of this process and get feedback more quickly and feedback increases quality. Exactly. And, and, and trust and all of the other good and important things you need about about your product and your process. Anything else we want to cover, Luca? Yeah, I, I feel like summarizing this because we, we keep finding interesting little detours to, <laughs> to take. So I think we've made the case that speeding up safety-critical development is good for safety and is good for the business. We've, I think, made the point that there is nothing that forbids you from doing it, certainly not the FDA. And I think we've pointed out that there are sort of two ways of getting there. One way is reducing scope, you know, minimize requirements, simplify your product, 
and then iterate on on the scope. And the other is to remove as much busy work as you can and automate as much as you can. Did I catch everything? I think so. I think that was a fantastic summary, actually. Nice work. Wow. Then I think there is nothing for, left for us but to finish this podcast, is there? <laughs> Sounds good. So, Luca, where can people go to find you online? Well, the easiest way is to go to uh, luca.engineer, and that will lead you to my website, and you can find more about me, and you can find ways to talk to me, which I would love if you did. Like, you know, maybe you can tell that I like to talk, so by all means, uh, get in contact, ask me questions, and I'll be happy to to answer them. Jeff, what about you? You can go to jeffgable.com. That's J-E-F-F-G-A-B-L-E.com. And again, uh, see my writings, and uh, uh, there's a contact form where you can get in touch. And again, I would love to hear from you. Excellent. That was a fantastic episode. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. That was nice. All right. So this has been the Agile Embedded Podcast. I'm Jeff Gable. And I'm Luca Njani. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.